You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I want you to remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And we're going to pick up with verse 15, Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse 15. Now we've been looking at a series called Vision and talking about God's vision for your life and for my life, God's heavenly vision. What is God's purpose, God's plan, God's agenda for your life? Do you know that? Do you communicate that to people around you, to your family, your friends, your children? Do your children, Dad, know your vision, your heavenly vision for your life? And that is a critical, critical thing. And I want, you to, I want you to tune in today because what I'm saying to you today is very, very important. I want everybody to look this way for a moment. Look this way. And children, I need you to listen. I want the children to listen to me because if the children cannot listen, I want you to take them out. That don't mean literally take them out. I don't mean knock them out. That means carry them out. Um, God, God has something that he needs for you to hear today. Okay? And uh, I want you to understand, I'm a man of God. Okay? Uh, Months and months ago, I stood before this congregation and I said, I don't know why, but God has told me to get in my truck and to drive and to pray. And God's told me to go all the way up the northeast coast, go to Maine and come down. And I did that out of obedience to the Lord. I would cross state lines and I would find myself weeping uncontrollably. When I got to to Trenton, New Jersey, I walked around that capital, and a man, a businessman, came up to me because I asked him a question, and he said, we have the oldest Baptist church of, of all Baptist churches in the country right here in New Jersey. And there was a heaviness. I prayed for Chris Christie, the governor, of New Jersey. There was a heaviness when I prayed for him. There was a heaviness in New Jersey. When I got to New York, I was so overwhelmed at New York that at the capital of New York, when I walked around the capital, I called Bob Smith and I said, Bob, I need you to pray with me right now. I said, because I feel so heavy in my spirit. I went to 23 states. CNN said 23 states have been affected by Sandy. And I say all that to say this, that that I try to be sensitive to God's Spirit and what God may be saying. And I want you to hear me today. I believe the message today is something that you and I need to hear. And so I need you to listen very closely. Now, if you've got your Bibles, take them to Exodus chapter 32. And I want us to pick up at verse 15. And I want you to see this. Okay, this is the scene. Moses has been up on the mount. Mount Sinai, he's received the stone tablets, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, as you and I know them, and he's on his way back down. He's met up with Joshua down at the bottom of the mountain, and now they're heading back to the camp where the Israelite people, the nation of Israel, has been waiting. Now listen to this. I want you to listen. It said, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets, Exodus 32, verse 15. Say amen if you're there. Moses turned and went down the mountain with two tablets of the testimony in his hand. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. 
The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the people, the noise, the, the, the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and he saw the golden calf and the dancing, remember they had coerced Aaron into, into making this calf and, and that, now they were worshiping and having just an orgy and a party, party around this calf, this golden calf. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf he, and the dancing, his anger burned. He threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made, he burned it in the fire, then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Wow. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that led you and led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Now that gold jewelry had come from Egypt. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Don't you love that? Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron, now look at this, Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And the Levites rallied around him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray for the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, to be mightily upon us, dear Lord. We, we thank you, dear Lord, for your word and song. We thank you, dear Lord, for what you're doing. And we pray, dear Lord, that right now that you wrap your arms around your messenger. And dear Lord, that people would be in tune and sensitive to your will and your purpose for their life. God, speak to us today. Forgive us where we fail you. Cleanse our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to ask you a question. What's the difference between a crowd and a congregation? Okay, now I want you to think about that for a minute because if you're a dad here today, I want to ask dads, do you have a crowd or do you have a congregation? Are we as a gathering here right now, are we a crowd or are we a congregation? Let me read to you, and I'm not much on definitions and reading what the dictionary says, but I want to, I want to read to you what Webster's Dictionary, I believe it was Webster's Dictionary said. Listen to this. It defines a congregation. A congregation is described as a gathering of people an assembly of people for religious worship or teaching. Okay, did you get that? That's a congregation. Now a crowd is described as an assembly of people in close proximity or densely packed and may suggest a lack of order or personal identity. Okay? So there's a difference between a congregation... And a crowd. Now, the nation of Israel, the Israelite nation, had been delivered out of Egypt. Now, here they are in the wilderness. God is speaking to that spiritual leader, Moses, and giving him the Ten Commandments, the law that would one day be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I came not to break the law, but to fulfill it. 
So here you have this assembly gathered together, the nation of Israel. When Moses left them, they were a congregation. When he came back, they were a crowd. And I want to ask you a question, what happened? And I want you to look this way because it's a very, very simple word. It was leadership. Okay, did you hear that? It was leadership. In fact, if you look at, if you look at Moses' words to Aaron, I want you to look at this. In Exodus 32, beginning at verse 21, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that, that you led them? Do you see that? What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? You see, the problem was leadership. This congregation turned into a crowd because Aaron was not, or Aaron was an example of a spiritual leader who gives over the reins. Now this is critical. Our staff, I'm asking our staff, I'm going to be looking at our staff. I may call down our staff if I think they're not listening. This is critical to our staff that they listen today. Because you see what can happen in any organization, any group, any gathering of people, it can quickly move from a congregation to a crowd because it's always due to spiritual leadership dropping the reins. Years ago I was in Oklahoma visiting a friend of mine at First Baptist Church, Duran, Oklahoma. He's a man, he loves horses. He loves horses. Did we forget something? What's wrong? Y'all, there's a house. I need some of our men right now to get up. There's a house burning down and people are screaming. I need our men to get up and go immediately. Ladies, if you will remain here, we're just going to spend a moment in prayer. Kids, children, I need you to listen, okay? Men, if you would, just slip out. And if there's anything that we can do, young men, you go too. Young men, you go too. Let's, let's, let's just gather together and, and just take them on. Would you reach and take somebody's hand right now? Just right there, and, and let's just pray. And, and you can just be seated. While you're praying, can I remind you of something? Okay. We, we have a world where people are dying and going to hell. Okay, and a lot of them are crying. And uh, so we're going to, we've got godly men and young men that are going to see what they can do to help, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to help them by just praying for them. So I want you right now, in a circle right now, you just gather right there with those people around you, and for a moment, I want you to pray together, and then I'm going to pray, okay? Would you do that? Let's do that right now. Just pray. Pray whatever God lays on your heart. We're going to just spend a moment in prayer. We can't, I can't tell. I went out and it, it's, it's something on fire down the street on Gibraltar down here. Um, some of our people have driven and are driving over there. Some, we've got nurses and people that are going that way. Uh, some, some of our men are coming back, so they may be able to tell us something in a moment. But uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we just take, take time and let's pray corporately together, Okay. Our Heavenly Father, we just, Lord, we come to you. We don't know why things like this happen. And we don't know why, dear Lord, in, in this moment that it happened. Maybe it is to remind us 
that, dear Lord, as we come to this Tuesday, it is a critical, critical moment in the life of this nation. There are deep moral and ethical values and and things that are weighing in the balance. Great spiritual men, leaders like Billy Graham have publicly stood up and come forth to call this nation to repentance. So it it is like you, even in the midst of this tragedy or crisis or whatever may be happening, to say to the body of believers, there's a much bigger fire looming in the distance and lives are hanging in the balance. And Lord, we just pray right now, we pray that, dear Lord, first of all, that there would be no no one hurt. We ask you, dear Lord, to wrap your arms. We pray, dear Lord, that people have been able to get out of this home. We pray that people are safe. We pray, dear Lord, that you have protected them. We pray, dear Lord, for neighbors and those people who may be nearby, that you will also protect them. We ask you to be with our people, dear Lord. I thank you for godly men and women, those that even have specialties and skills who are, who are there willing to serve or to do whatever they need and can do. So we pray that you give them wisdom. And Lord, we ask you, dear Lord, to allow your Holy Spirit just to continue to minister to those of us in this room until these others return. And we give you all the glory, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name do we pray. Amen. Amen. Do we have any uh, report? Can y'all just... They got everybody out, but the house is gone. Okay. You know, there's one, there's one thing that we can, there's, a, there's one thing that we can learn from this, and that is how, how important it is that we respond, and you see the response of people. Imagine if we felt that way about people that were dying and possibly going to hell, the ability to be able to respond to them. Um, I, I, want to, I want to pick up, and, and I'm going to be sensitive to the time. Okay, real quickly, I, I, I'll cut it in half because I'm not, this is too important. This is too important for me to not, not preach at all. You'll have to, you'll have to come next week. Um, but one of, the things that, one of the things that makes it clear here is that Israel moved from, a, they moved from a congregation. Moses left a congregation when he went up on the mount. When he came back, he came back to a crowd. Now, it's, it's critical that you and I understand this. The reason that it turned into a crowd was because of its spiritual leader. In essence, what Moses says to Aaron is this. You have, and he says it in the Hebrew, you have para these people. You have perished these people or caused them to perish because you've dropped the reins. Okay? In other words, you've, you've, allowed, the lead, you've allowed the people just to run free. They're, Moses said it. They're out of control. Okay, now, now stay with me. When I was in Oklahoma, I had a friend of mine who had um, he, many love horses. He loved horses. And so he, he took me out one day and he said, man, i got to show you my horse. And he had an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, dapple gray cut of horse. I mean, this horse was massive, massive across its chest. It was all muscles, just a beautiful animal. 
And anyway, when he finally got the animal to come, he, he, he was sitting there and he was combing this animal down. And I'll never forget Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor was combing the front of this chest, the muscles of this animal. He was combing this animal down and he looked at me and he smiled. He turned and looked at me and he said, God loves horses. He said, if you don't believe it, he said, they're all the way through the Bible. He said, they're in heaven. He said, God loves horses horses. And then he went on to say this as he began to put that, as he began to put the bits in that horse's mouth, fixing that bridle, putting that blanket, setting that saddle, and finally Steve's an experienced horseman, has been riding horses all of his life. In fact, Steve has some Indian blood in him. Finally, he mounted that horse, and you could see that animal, the muscles tense and everything as if that animal wanted to run. And finally, he said this, he said, this is a dangerous place to be if, if you're not in control. And then he wheeled that horse around, he kicked the flanks of that horse, and that horse took off across that pasture full speed, and it was just unbelievable to watch it. And he would turn that horse and maneuver that horse. He'd stop that horse, and you'd see that animal just plant its front uh, hoofs and his back hoofs into the ground and come to a halt. And the control of that animal. But I thought about what he said. And I thought about, and I, and I actually wrote this down, the horse's nature is in conflict with the one who seeks to control it. What Steve was saying is this, He's saying, listen, if you do not maintain control of this animal, this animal will kill you. And I, and I thought, as, even as I was looking at these words, I was thinking, you know, in all honesty, isn't that, isn't that God's problem with you and I? He puts, he puts the bridle, he puts the bits, listen to this, of his Holy Spirit into our lives and that Holy Spirit is trying to maintain control of what? Our fleshly nature. You and I need to understand that, that God has the same problems in our life that Steve has as he is sitting on top of that horse. Our fleshly nature is in conflict with the Holy Spirit who's seeking to control it. Now that's critical. I want you to take your Bibles and look at Galatians. Take a right, go to Galatians chapter 5. And see, for the sake of time, Jesus, actually the Holy Spirit, let me turn one page short of being right there. Galatians 5, verse 16. Watch what Paul says. Now, now listen, this is critical. In fact, I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, listen, this is critical. Callie's just smiling, looking at me. Callie, don't say it to me. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul said this, this to the church at Galatia. He said, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. For the sinful nature or the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit 
what is contrary to the sinful nature or to the flesh. They are, listen to this, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, God has the same problem in our life. He comes in, He takes up residence. It's a personal, not only visit, it is a personal, permanent habitation. Your life, my life, is the temple of the what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has come to live in you. Jesus said, I've got to hurry up and get back to heaven so that I can send the paraclete, the comforter that's going to come alongside of you. Listen, that's going to come in you. Sometimes we think, man, I wish I could have been around when the disciples were here. Man, they got to rub shoulders with Jesus and hang with him and... You know, they could call them on their cell phones. They could, uh, you know, get on a camel and ride together across the desert. I mean, man, they had it made. You know, I wish I could have that kind of... Listen, you have something that the disciples did not have when Jesus was on the earth. You have Christ living in you. That is a powerful, powerful thing. And yet Paul says, listen, you've got Christ living in you, but you've still got this old fleshly nature. And listen, he says, they are in conflict with one another. Now listen to these statements. Number one, should you and I feel guilty because we have this fleshly nature? No. This is the result of our fallen nature. This is the result of our sinful nature. In fact, I wrote this down. We all have it regardless of how spiritual or close to the Lord we feel. You may feel even right now you still have that sinful nature. It's in us. Now one day we'll be delivered from it, but it is there. Number two, the enemy will convince you, and he'll convince me, that you're lost because you have this sinful nature. And the answer to that is no. Paul makes it clear here that there is a war in every believer's heart, but it is proof that you and I are his. Okay, in other words, the conflict bears evidence... You see, I got this old sinful fleshly nature. It's constantly trying to rise up, take control of me. But then I've got the Holy Spirit that's in conflict with this sinful nature, and they're warring in, guess what? They're warring inside this temple, inside this house. There's a war going on. They're both trying to control. But hey, even when my fleshly nature wins, even when I fail... And that conflict is going on. It bears evidence that the Holy Spirit is living here. Isn't that great? So number three, with that said, the question then becomes for you and I, who's winning the conflict? Think of it this way. You've got a good man and a bad man living here. Okay, that's the bottom line. Imagine in your house you had a really bad man living in your home and you had, you had the most righteous person that ever walked the earth living in your home. Now, now, let me say this. You've got a conflict there because you've got a righteous, good man, godly man. And listen, he, he, he's, he, you know, here's, here's the God man. Here's Jesus. He's living in your house. You go to cut the TV on and Jesus says, don't watch that. 
You know, hey, the bad man's over there going, oh man, don't worry about it. He's just an old killjoy. Go ahead and watch it. You'll enjoy it. It'll be good. It'll give you a little tinge, a little, you know, make your flesh feel good. Go ahead and go for it. After a while, you're listening to some music. Jesus said, I don't believe I'd listen to that. Why don't you turn over to this music? This will be far better. This will edify you and build you up and encourage you. Oh, listen, don't listen to him. He's just trying to rob you of a good time. You see, you've got a good man, you've got a bad man. They're in conflict with one another. They're warring against each other because, see, they're seeking control. Now, let me tell you, who's winning the conflict is based on who you're caring for. If you're pampering and babying and coddling and caring for the the flesh, the world, the devil, then listen, don't be surprised that it has the upper hand in your life. You're not going to have many victories. But I can tell you this much, if you and I are feeding on the Word of God, if we're in prayer and if we're coddling, caring and watching over God's Holy Spirit working in us and through us, then listen, God's going to give us victories over the flesh. You see, that's critical. Now, the problem is, and, and, I'm, and, and is that leadership is critical to all of us. In fact, I don't even have time to get to it, but let me, let me close with this. I'll close with this, okay, because this is too much and I don't want to get into it. Let's go back to my friend's horse. He's got this beautiful gray dapple horse. He says, Jeff, he said, listen, man, this horse is unbelievable. He said, I can't believe that I was able to get... He said, this was a friend that knew a friend. He said, this animal, he said, is just absolutely unbelievable. When we pulled up, I mean, he was just filled with pride because here's this horse. Boy, the mane, I meant this horse, you know, he's just moving around and he knew, he knew his owner, he knew Steve. And boy, he just perked up. Boy, he was getting all excited. This massive animal. And he just perks up and he begins to run around the, the pasture, all excited. Steve, we pull up in his truck and he goes, he gives a little whistle, not much. Horse doesn't come. Horse kind of runs over and looks at him and then takes off and runs again and runs around the pasture and runs around the pasture. Steve keeps going. Finally, he's getting mad. He grabs a bit in the reins. And here's Steve walking, and man, he's walking out across that pasture. Finally, he chums, he chums and finally he gets, that, he gets that horse in the corner over there, and he, and he, and he finally is able to get the, the mane of this massive animal. And then he takes those reins, and he wraps them around, and he sticks those bits in his mouth, and he brings that horse around to where that horse will look at him. And it's as if he's reminding him, I'm the one in control. He walks back over with this animal and he looks at me and he says, you know what my horse's problem is? Now I want you children to listen to this. You know what the horse's problem was? He said, the problem with my horse is the horse in my neighbor's pasture. He said, said, my neighbor, he just got a horse last week. And in a matter of a few days, the nature of my neighbor's horse has affected the nature of my horse and has become more difficult for me to handle. And then he looked at me and he said, I hate my neighbor's horse. (laughs) 
in that illustration is the key to what can happen to a congregation and how a congregation can become a crowd. I want you to listen to me. Bad company corrupts good morals. Okay? The problem is, when people come together, is the fleshly nature joined up with the fleshly nature of other people is already bucking the reins of God's leadership. And sometimes the only thing that maintains a control of a congregation and keeps it from becoming a crowd is this. It is spiritual leaders. I'm not, gonna, I'm not able to get into it, but I want to tell you this much. There are a lot of people that will remove themselves from the local church. And that is unbiblical, and next week I'll prove to you that it's unbiblical. Everything God does, He does through the ecclesia of the church, the called out ones. When Paul would start a group of believers, first thing Paul did was he would identify leaders. He would begin to train those leaders and equip them through Timothy and Titus or whatever. He would link them to other churches, and he would ultimately link them all the way back to the apostles in Jerusalem because they had given, been given the keys to the kingdom. He always linked it together. The dangerous thing is this. When people become disgruntled with the church, disenfranchised with the church, and they go it alone, and there's a heavy cost to that, and they do it for two reasons. Either because they're hurt with the church, disenfranchised with the church, they no longer believe in the church. Let me tell you, the church, like salvation, is God's only plan. There's no other plan. No parachurch organization can ever be that. It is a church with spiritual leaders, pastors, staff, <coughs> deacons. But what can happen, and what I believe sometimes is happening in our day, and George Barna wrote a book called Revolution years ago. He said people today are disenfranchised with the church. They don't like the church. They've had a bad experience with the church. Or they feel like the church is wasting money. You're doing this, doing that. And they feel justified in saying, hey, listen, we're going to go it alone. There's only one problem with that. That can be a seedbed for the enemy to do great damage to the body of believers because of two reasons. Number one, they are not coming under spiritual authority that God has put in place. Number two, there's no accountability. That's how every cult gets started. The local church is God's plan, and it will always be God's plan. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I just pray, dear Lord, even as men and women are standing now and preparing for this invitation, I just pray, dear Lord, even as we stand before you and look up into your face, that God, that you would help us. Dear Lord, we understand that as Paul said in, in, to the believers at Galatia, that there's this battle going on within us. Lord, we don't like it. We look forward to a day when we don't even have those desires, any tinge of a want of anything that would be contrary to your Holy Spirit. Lord, I think when you said in the world you'll have tribulation, this is part of the tribulation, godly people who are still battling with that fleshly nature. But Lord, there's a danger sometimes when we become disenfranchised, when we begin to turn against the local church, when we begin to find ourselves being pulled by entities, parachurch organizations, groups that are meeting together, and often can be a place where, the, where a, an assembly of the discontents are gathering. Those people, dear Lord, who are not in love... 
Father, I know this. People can say they love me, but if they hate my wife, they might as well hate me too. We can't say we love Jesus and hate His bride. And His bride is the church. But Lord, I pray, dear Lord, today that we would not be a crowd governed by fleshly nature, governed by the desires of our heart, but that, dear Lord, we might be a congregation motivated and, 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 and prodded and pushed forward by your Holy Spirit. May you take control. That word filled means to be controlled. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit under the control of it. I want you to look this way. Sometimes God, will bring a, sometimes God will bring a picture to your mind to make a point. Last night, last night in the Alabama-LSU game, Alabama in so many ways didn't look like the normal Alabama. There were so many things that weren't working out. Here's a possible Heisman Trophy quarterback who was struggling and battling and finally in the end, though they were battered, beat up, and bruised, they won. But I, you know the thing that was the most tender of all? The thing it was like God was saying, look at that for a moment, son, that's you sometimes, was the quarterback. The quarterback of Alabama, you know what he did? When they scored that last time, the game wasn't even over yet. He just went over and he sat down and he put his head down in his hands and he just wept and wept and wept and wept. Coaches, players would come, they'd pet him on the back, try to encourage him. He just wept and he wept and he wept and he wept. And I thought to myself, isn't that sometimes how we feel? You're battered, you're bruised up, you're beat up. Sometimes you think, God, I'm not going to be able to win this thing. I'm not, we're not going to be able to pull it out. And God says, you just follow the play. You just do what I say. You see, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I feel like that. I'm, just, I'm a quarterback, and Jesus is over there like the coach. And I'm looking over there saying, what plays do I call? Lord, I'm, you know, I'm getting beat up, bruised up. Things are not necessarily working out the way I'd like for them to work out. And it's like the Lord said, just go, just do what I said. We're, we're going we're gonna to win this thing. You may be here today and you may be beat up and bruised up in parenting. You may be beat up and bruised up in your marriage. You may be beat up and bruised up in your finances. You may be beat up and bruised up by life. We've got a young man here today that lost his mom. Some of you have lost people that you love and you may be beat up and bruised up right now. But you just look over to the coach. You look over to Coach Jesus. You look over to Coach Jesus. You know what Coach is going to tell you? We're going to get out of this. We're going to make it. And we're going to come out on top. Just trust me. Trust me. And that's what the Lord says to all of us. And my friend, I want, I want you to understand. Don't, don't get disenfranchised with the church. We get bruised and beat up. Things don't all. We, you know, things go wrong. But God loves us, and God's saying, listen, I'm still here. You can trust me. So if you're here today, and, and, and you say, you know, Brother Jeff, all of that sounds good, but I've never given Jesus my life. I've never given Him my heart. I'm not a part of the team. You see, really, the truth of the matter is, the quarterback ran over, and he celebrated with his family. But you know what? His family didn't have anything to do with the victory on the field. 
The band sound good. The cheerleaders did a great job. The students did a good job. But you know the only problem was? We're none of them on the field. Some of you, you're all excited because uh, Alabama won. But the truth of the matter is, you didn't do anything to help them win. And you see, a lot of times that's what happens in the body of believers. Some of us are celebrating the victories that Christ is having in this community, in the lives of people, but we're just not being a part of it. We're not in the game. But my friend, when you get in the game and God begins to do some things in your life and through your life, it'll make all the difference in the world. Do you know Him today? Do you know Him? Our Heavenly Father, we just pray, dear Lord, even as we close this prayer, if there's a man or a woman, boy or girl, young person of the day that does not know you, that today, right now, that they would give their heart, give their life to you, that they would say, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be the Lord, the master, the coach of my life. And God will give you the glory for it. God, you've spoken through this fire. You've spoken to us as men and women got up and quickly made their way out of this building to go see what they could do. But God, you were teaching us a deep spiritual lesson. There's a world today that is in much disarray. I need you to get up and to move out. Will you do that? So Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.